Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Yes, I am. Let's go. Let's go to Chicago. Chicago. That's where we were? We didn't know. I didn't either until something happened. I just thought we were on the road to Atlantic City. It was in my tasties that I found out it was Chicago. Could have been any town with pool halls. It's cold. Few and far between these days. That's true. Fast Eddie. You know, there are um, bars around here called Fast Eddie's Mm -hmm. with pool halls in them. Fast Eddie Felsen. The original hustler. Still believes that money is one twice as sweet as money earned. To prove his point, he forms a partnership with a young pool hustler, Vince, and his girlfriend. Particulous. Oh, we are doing. <laughs> Sorry, listener. You got to guess it. You got to guess it. Just look at your phone. <laughs> the color of money. It premiered in New York City on October 8th, 1986, and the rest of the United States on October 17th, 1986. You're, you look like you're thinking, Ma. You look like I was. I was something. thinking, where were we? Because that's close to the time when we, but we were still in uh, here in Alexandria. Yeah. yeah. I was non-existent. Oh, I was six years old. I was in first grade. I mean, I might have been something by then. <laughs> At least a twinkle in your daddy's eye. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I saw her doing the, the math. She could have been something. <laughs> um, but not yet a person. Yes. You were an option. You are. Yeah. Uh, uh, ah, I forgot the word. Um, a choice. You were mm-hmm. a choice. And at there, that point, if your mother wanted to, she could have dealt with things. But um, she chose to have you, and we are so happy. Yay! <laughs> She's like, mm. That was directed by Martin Scorsese, who also, he had done, by this time, he had done Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, and Raging Bull. So those are, you know, big time movies. But then he also did The King of Comedy and After Hours. Those were his two most recent films before this. And those were financial failures. So he was he was looking for a job. So then he did this movie. His movie that he had been um, toiling away over came out after this, The Last Temptation of Christ. And then while he was working on this film he came up with the idea well he didn't come up with the idea but he read about the book wise guys which he then turned into goodfellas and then he made cape fear he did michael jackson's bad short film slash music video so uh, you know then he was like boom i'm back baby i'm mari scorsese and then he also has this upcoming movie called killers of the flower moon that is that was that's a book. Yeah, they, they, it's been adapted into. A, I think I read it. It's the, like there are murders of Osage County and the beginnings of the FBI. So, color me intrigued. Oh, me too. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was supposed to have read it. The screenplay is by Richard Price. He was a novelist. He wrote The Wonders and Clockers. 
uh, he also wrote the screenplays for Sea of Love, Mad Dog and Glory, Ransom. He also wrote on The Wire, The Night of, and The Deuce. Oh, that book. Rory read it. She said it was really good. I, I, I went as far as putting it on my want to read list on Goodreads and just haven't revisited that book. Well, I'm going to order it. I'm very intrigued by it. Okay, it will be available at Christmas. It is based on the 1984 novel The Color of Money by Walter Tevis, and that is a sequel to his 1959 novel The Hustler. Okay. But nerd alert, the novel is completely different than this movie The Color of Money. First of all, in the novel, there's the Minnesota Fats character... There's a major TV subplot in the novel. And in the novel, Fast Eddie runs a pool hall himself, and a Minnesota Fats lookalike is on TV, and that prompts Fast Eddie to go find the real one. The real Minnesota Flats, Fats is in the Florida Keys, and they go on a national tour. And then he meets, Fast Eddie meets mm. an English woman. The finale takes place in Lake Tahoe. Um, Eddie beats a bunch of younger players. The filmmakers pretty much just threw all of that out. And I think Walter Tevis even did an adaptation of his own novel. Um, but they didn't like the story and they threw it out and they just came, they just basically just kept the title and fast Eddie and came up with the whole story. Because um, they had contacted Jackie Gleason to play Minnesota Fats again. And then he read the script and realized the script, was in flux and realized Minnesota Fats wasn't going to have a big enough part. And so he bowed out. Yeah. Cause they were like, we're basically just taking the, this fast Eddie character and we're taking the color of money and then we're coming up with a whole new story. And then they wanted to try to shoehorn it in. I think Paul Newman even has a quote about saying it was like trying to glue an arm onto a man. It just didn't, it just, felt like they were shoehorning it and then they still respected Jackie Gleason enough to be like here it is and he was like nah this feels like you're just shoehorning me in it so that was that it was edited by Thelma Schumacher who has eight a lady Os a woman yeah mm -hmm. she's mm -hmm. done pretty much all of mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese's films I have more on her later, but she was she's been nominated for eight Academy Awards. She has three wins: Raging Bull, The Aviator, and The Departed. She also has done pretty much all of Martin Scorsese's films, including The Irishman and the upcoming Killers of the Flower Moon. That's mm -hmm. Thelma. Mm -hmm. The book has been ordered. We'll be here tomorrow. <laughs> The music is by Robbie Robertson. He was the lead Robbie guitar. Robertson? Yeah, Robbie Robertson. Wow. Do you know him? No, I was just thinking his parents did him dirty. Oh, well, yeah. Robbie Robertson, he's pretty famous because he's the lead guitarist and songwriter for the band. That's the name of the band. Oh. I went through uh, the band phase when I was in college because... Oh, boy. Well... So the band used to be Bob Dylan's band, and then they went off and became their own band. There are a bunch of Canadians who are instrumental in creating what became known as the Americana music scene in America. Huh, All course. Canadians. 
They have, of course, they have the song The Wait. They have Up on Cripple Creek, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. And it's hilarious because they're Canadians. <laughs> um, yeah. So I got into the band because one of the films that Martin Scorsese directed is called The Last Waltz, and that's a concert film of the band. And let me just tell you right now, do yourself a favor, go onto YouTube, type in The Last Waltz, The Wait, with the Staple Singers. Because in the movie The Last Waltz, they do The Wait, and it's featuring the Staple Singers, and the Staple Singers are one of the all-time great 60s bands just regardless full stop period you got pop staples but specifically you have mavis staples who has one of the all-time greatest voices i feel like it's just up there to me there's just this baseness in her voice she has one of those voices where i i hear her voice and i'm like that's mavis staples and she's still out here on tour she's still killing it but watch the wait, because when she comes in with her voice and just her voice, you're just like, God damn, that's live people. I just feel like Mavis Staples doesn't get enough flowers. And so there's just not enough recognition of how fantastic that woman is at singing. Um, and so Robbie Robertson, of course, he's in with Martin Scorsese. So he also did work on Raging Bull, The Wolf of Wall Street, and The Irishman. We have as the director of photography, Michael Ballhaus. He was a German cinematographer. He did Princes Under the Cherry Moon. He also did Broadcast News, The Fabulous Baker Boys, Ooh. Goodfellas, The Departed. Many, Ooh. many films that are great. He's one of the all-time greats. Nerd Alert, he's the nephew of Carl Ballhaus, who is an actor who is in The Blue Angel, which was Marlene Dietrich's big film, and he was also in M, which was a film Fritz Lang film that we did. Yes. So, there you go. Yeah, on, on to the cast. Of course, the reason why I picked this film, we have Paul Newman as Eddie, Fast Eddie Felsen. Paul Newman was around 61 when he did this film. I think he was 61 because he was born in January and they shot at the beginning of 86. January 26th. Exactly. So in 82, he'd done The Verdict, which we've done. Yeah. And prior to that, he had done Slapshot in 77. And then prior to that, he had done The Sting, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Cool Hand Luke, HUD. And then in 61, of course, he had done The Hustler. So Paul Newman is if anything paul newman is like getting up to where the young kids are like who's this old guy and you know they yeah. don't really know who paul newman is ah, fools. so he was he was eddie falco in the hustler in 61 eddie and, felson oh, that's eddie falco you're right <laughs> not to be but <laughs> he was 61 when he did the color of money 261's there interesting mm-hmm Okay. And we have Tom Cruise as Vincent Loria. He was around 23-ish when he did this film. He had already been in The Outsiders and Risky Business, All the Right Moves, and Legend. So he was the up, like one of the up-and-coming guys. He was. 
And this was around the time that they had what was called the Brat Pack. So there was a mm-hmm. whole bunch, especially in the Outsiders, there were a whole bunch of young white men who were vying for the, the next big, basically the next Paul Newman, the next Robert Redford, you know, the next generation. Nerd Alert, a little film by the name of Top Gun came out before this film in 86. So in 86... Okay, I was wondering if that had already come out. Yeah, I mean... He had filmed it already. Um, so in 86, it's like Top Gun comes out, and then later in the year, The Color of Money comes out. So this is pretty much ba- like uh, putting into cement, like, okay, Tom Cruise is now the head dog. He's the, he's the new actor, the new kid on the block, if, if you will. Like, he's the one that rose above the pack. It's interesting because in the year 2022... Tom Cruise, he just turned 60. So he's a year younger. And wow, he looks younger. Top Gun Maverick came out where he replied. Time ain't work like it used to, I guess. No, yeah, exactly. When you got money to. And, you know, Paul Newman was an actor, actor. Like he would go to stage, he studied all those things. So when you look at the films that, Paul Newman did as he aged versus the films that Tom Cruise has done. He's Tom Cruise has really held on to that. I'm an action star and I'm going to be in these mission impossible films. And he's just continuing to dye his hair and take a legend. Paul Paul Newman doesn't seem like, like a pretty boy type. Like he doesn't seem like one that would buy into these things to make you look younger and do crazy diets or, Mm-mm. And he was, he was, if you watch the, um, the, the Ethan Hawke series, the last movie stars, he, he was, he was a functioning alcoholic. Yeah. He I was mean, an alcoholic. That, well, yeah, so that might've taken a toll. Exactly. But, um, hey, Paul Newman at 61. <laughs> I mean, he looked so much younger in this film than he did in the verdict. Which part of yeah. that I think is also acting because in the verdict he was playing like an alcoholic guy right. who was, right. and then in this it, he, he's kind of like had to to pep it up. But I was just surprised by like how <laughs> how much I was still attracted to this old man. I know, <laughs> honestly, I know. he was still gorgeous. I was just like, wow. Yeah. And I had, I, I had, this was my first time seeing this film. I remember hearing about it. Really. Yeah, because I was, like, you know, my parents, you did not, I got to see Top Gun in 87, because it was on VHS, but, like, you weren't showing me the color of money when I was seven, so I would just see it on TV, you know, they would be on the Today Show or something like that, like, you know, promoting it and stuff, and I'm like, oh, Paul News, like, oh, that old guy, and I wasn't into Tom Cruise at all, I was just like, so it's it's interesting being older and watching this movie. I have more on that later. We have Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio as Carmen. She was around 27 when this when she made this film. She was also in Scarface. I know her from The Abyss. She that's just where I remember her from. And Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So we have those. Helen Shaver as Janelle. She was in the Amityville Horror, The Land Before Time, 
and DC Sniper colon 23 Days of Fear. Well, there was that. Yeah, I lived through that. (laughs) Yes, we did. That was a thing. Um, John Tutoro as Julian. That was a fun. That was a fun. I know. He was in Do the Right Thing. He was in The Big Lebowski, and there's a part where he's like holding his cue stick that looked a lot like his uh, less than like his creepy character in The Big Lebowski. Um, it just reminded me of that. He was also in The Night of. Nerd Alert, he was uncredited. He had, was an extra in Raging Bull. Oh. And this guy, like John Turturro, he's basically has an in with Martin Scorsese. He's in a ton of his movies, a ton of the Coen Brothers movies, and a ton of Spike Lee movies. Those, like, what a great just company to be in of like those three directors will just give you a job because they like what you're doing it's got to feel good we have bill cobbs as orvis he's just always like i was like that guy Mm -hmm. he's in the night of the museum trading places the bodyguard Mm -hmm. and like literally so many movies and so much tv he this man and he's still working just he's been in everything Forrest Whitaker as Amos. I, that I was a surprise. I recognized him. I did not. I did not realize he was going to be in this. So that I was didn't fun. either. He his first movie was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Then he was in Vision Quest. And then he was in this film. And then he went on to be in Platoon, Good Morning America, Bird, and Ghost Dog: The Way of the Samurai, and all the way up through. Right, the Ugandan, not. Was it? Yeah, the, the last of the the Scottish Scotsman. king or some something like that. And um, yeah, and he was in the movie that we did, um, um, the Crying Game. Yes, he was also in that. Yes, yes. Oh yeah. And we have Keith McCready, who is Grady Seasons. In real life, he is also known as Earthquake, and he was a professional pool player and notorious hustler. I thought oh. he was professional. So those are the particulars. Well, the movie starts with a voiceover explaining how to play nine ball. And that voiceover, most people recognize as Mr. Scorsese. Hmm? We see cigarette smoke and hear contemporary music through the credits. I love that cigarette smoke. And beautiful shots. Just ball house. Just Making making a pool hall look beautiful. Look at yeah. the shots of the glasses. I had to pour myself some bourbon when I watched this. Ooh. I was like, ooh. Uh, the movie starts in a pool hall with Eddie trying to sell liquor to a woman. He was explaining, there was a long quote that I tried to do, but then it was like, it's all about liquor, bourbon. Yeah, I, I tried, and then I was like, it's fine. I don't need it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the color of it. And and the thing is, Fast Eddie was selling her some cheap, quotation marks, bourbon. I don't know that it was actually bourbon. Um, and you just put it in. <laughs> my father used to do this. <laughs> he did? <laughs> put it in a more expensive bottle, and nobody knows the difference. I yeah. learned from Bar Rescue that that is very illegal. Oh, oh yeah, sure it is. I, I mean, he he didn't sell it to anybody. He would just oh, yeah. serve it to, you know. There were those who deserved the top shelf stuff, and those who 
I've got uh, lesser stuff in a top shelf bottle. It just depended on who you were in my father's life. Don't worry, Teeny. You always get Uncle the real Uncle Neil. Yeah, I'm like, what have I been drinking at your house now? <laughs> yeah, no, I the, didn't. The first couple of years, I don't know. I can't. I don't know <laughs> what he was giving you. But now. Oh, no. Poppy, that would not. That is yeah, not he's Poppy's not. MO that's our no, I trust him. The other yeah. one, I don't know. That's exactly. one thing I never drink the gin. <laughs> Oh, Hi, so uh, right now, disclaimer, who allows you to drink Evian at our house? That is true. From very true. early on. You and you did something that I will not speak of on this podcast that made me know that you liked me. It's right, oh, you, baby. You've already spoken on this podcast. Oh, yeah, shit. it's well. already been. It's already <laughs> been. Uh, yeah, it's in the metaverse, but that's all right. We're in good company. Uh, okay, so Eddie's trying to sell uh, bourbon to this woman. Vinny is playing a video game. That's the first time we see him. Uh, patron tells Eddie, the patron is John Chaturro, tells Eddie about Vincent's pool game. He's, he's, he's got this game going on, but uh, I forget uh, Chaturro's name in this. It, he, he thinks he can take him. Um, and so Eddie starts paying attention to him. He hears him break, you know, when you do the shot and it breaks the ball. Mm -hmm. And he goes, whoa, that kid's got a break. And so I went off script. Uh, mm -hmm. Eddie sees promise in Vincent and gives his girlfriend some management points. Uh, we go through lots of toxic masculinity and it appears that Eddie wants to coach Vincent. What could go wrong? Yeah. So we're at a POC. It was a, quite a while before we saw a POC. It was, but we have, I have Orvis, Amos, mm -hmm. Eddie's eye doctor, Mosell, the other mm -hmm. guy that they wanted to get besides Mosell, and pretty much all of Chalky's. Right, right. So we went to a pool hall that was mostly people of color, and that's when we men got of our... color. I didn't see any women of color, but I, no, I was because she was the only woman there. Yeah, she was like, yeah, because Jen very we were very around. concerned about that. Oh my god. Oh yeah, yes. that was my moment of cast. Was uh, she's been in all these other pool halls, and there are sketchy characters in all of them, but it wasn't until she was in this pool hall that Vincent wanted to send her back to the, her hotel because it wasn't safe for her. Also, I did love that then he just had her walk back to her hotel by herself. <laughs> and he was like, this is terrifying in here. You better go on and walk back to the hotel. Mm -hmm. And they were yeah. staying in like a motel at best. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So um, other uh, cast? Well, I could do my nerd alert with this. Okay. Maybe. I mean, it fits in any way. It's not really anything. I just have a, a historical person nerd alert that fits in with Power of Cast. I am hope I was hoping that you were gonna do this. Cicero Murphy. Oh, I don't know this. Never mind. <laughs> so this is an article from Andscape.com. Oh. Um, is that a place you know? Yes, I've heard of it. Oh, great. Um, and the title is 
the Jackie Robinson of pool, Cicero Murphy hustled his way to the top. <gasps> and he became, in 1965, the first and only Black world champion of billiards. <gasps> and he's from Brooklyn. Ah! Um, and it starts, like, they go interview two of his friends. This is written in 2019, and he, uh, Cicero, has passed away before this was written. And I love, they went to interview two of his friends named James Cornbread Thomas and Joseph <laughs> Strokey Armstrong. <laughs> Cornbread is Strokey. Yep. Um, so, okay, let's see. It's a bunch of, uh, they grew up in Bed-Stuy. And... Let's see. Sorry, I'm like making sure I get the article right. Okay, so 1964, um, Murphy, Cicero Murphy was blocked from competing in the world title because the Billiard Room Proprietors Association of America, the BRPAA, which ran the tournament, claimed he didn't qualify despite the lack of any codified entry rules. Oh. Um, worse yet, the organization didn't let him know that until shortly before the event began. So that's when his friends kicked into action. They woke up they woke up a local printer and had picket signs made dirty pool, no Negroes allowed, and Lily White. And <laughs> they uh within, within a couple of hours, Thomas and Armstrong, along with members of Brooklyn's chapter of Congress, Brooklyn's chapter of Congress of Racial Equality, the Brooklyn NAACP and the 125th Street Billiard Players Association were demonstrating in the rain outside the tournament, which was held at the Commodore Hotel in Midtown, Midtown Manhattan. Oh. Um, so he, you know, they were like, he was supposed to play in the tournament last minute, they say he can't get in. So he picketed to stop people going in. New York newspapers and television stations covered the story, but they still didn't let him play. Um, so that's how it starts out. Back to his history. In 1950, Cicero dropped out of boys high school in Brooklyn um, his family was originally from North Carolina when his parents divorced, his father, Herbert returned to the South. So his mother was left to raise four sons and four daughters on her own with Damn. the wages she earned working at a local donut factory. Um, 15, 15 year old Murphy was fourth in line, in line, armed with a little more than a 10th grade education and a resourceful mind and a spry muscular body. He took a job as an auto mechanic and limited his sports activities to nights and weekends. Uh, so he's 15 and he's like, I better, I better get a job. Um, yeah. So he, he, his son talks about, they talk a lot about his son, Cicero Jr. And they talk about how his father was a star on the softball field, despite being only five foot nine, but softball was merely a Saturday afternoon exercise for the teenager. Um, so he joined the local gym to get into the boxing ring, but the gym was only open from seven to 10 at night. It was so small. You had to sign a sheet at the door to get in. You spend a couple of minutes on the speed bag and then you have to move on to something else. Mm. One night I got tired of the shuffling and stepped across the hall to the pool room. As the story goes, a few local guys lured him to the table and beat him soundly. That's when his competitive instincts took over and he resolved to master the game. Um, he didn't like humiliation. He vowed to my mother, Janie, that he'd never let it happen again. 
So he started to study pool obsessively. Um, his classroom was John's Pool Parlor at the corner of Fulton Street and Nostrum Avenue. And he became such a regular that he struck up a deal with the manager. And he said he'd sweep up the place after it closed down if he could use the table for free. Um, but the only condition was that since he wasn't paying, the table's overhead lamp wouldn't be lit, like the one over the pool table. Oh, wow. Yeah. So most people agree that playing in the dark is a good reason how to explain why he developed into such a good competitor. Um, I'm not quite sure what this means. I think I can guess, but it says Murphy was capable of running 200 balls, missing a shot, then running another 200. And they talk about how he had one of the more unusual stroke and strokes in billiards. So like, you know, when you see people shoot pool, mm -hmm. they line it up and then they like pull it back and shoot it. He would pull back and stop and then shoot. And they called it his hesitation stroke. But he oh. said that it allowed him to get a clear picture of the shot he was about to take if he stopped when it was pulled back. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so he, people started hearing about him when he was a teenager. He won city championships in New York. Um, and apparently there were a lot of good players in New York. I'm sure there were. And then there's a bunch of great nicknames in this. So he knew he, he knew what he was up against. Most of the great black players of the previous decade, George Rotation Slim Harrison, Paul Detroit Slim Graham, Ulysses Kid Hogan, and Alexander City Bryant had won state and national championships, but were excluded from the national tournaments. Um, even the renowned James Evans, the proprietor of an all-night pool room in Harlem, was blocked from the big-time tournaments. Um, and, and Evans, the guy who was blocked, he was light-skinned enough to pass for Native Americans, so they thought, like, if anybody could get in, then he would be able to. So he kept his job as a mechanic, but he spent his nights with his two friends traveling from pool hall to pool hall hustling. And they talked, they like made good money on the road. And one of the quotes from his friend says, if we couldn't get all the money we needed out of the other guy, we would beat him again. If we could string him along for more money, we'd do that too. We wouldn't lose to him. We'd let him get close and think he could beat us. I was like, that's just like what was happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. You do anything that's necessary to win the money. If you're playing a guy that's not as good as you and you know he can't beat you, you don't play hard on him. You lay down for a while. When you get ready to leave town, you play your best, beat everybody, win all the money, and get out of there. Right. Um, so they were going, they ended up starting to travel. Like sometimes they'd be gone for two weeks at a time. They'd go to Buffalo, Boston, Washington, D.C., Virginia, Chicago, and even Canada. Um, so this article said, we asked whether race was ever an issue. After all, they were black guys taking money from white people. And he said, Thomas and Arms, Armstrong shook their heads with an emphatic no. Inside the pool halls, they say, it was simply gamblers playing other gamblers. No towns were off limits, not even the sundown towns in Illinois, where black people were warned to leave by sundown, where they often showed up at the invitation of the top players in the area. Mm -hmm. um, you go in, win, 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 and you get ready to leave, but there might be a stick-up man in the pool hall watching, and when the game's over, they take the money from you. 
So what we would do is we'd call the police, right? And we'd tell them someone has a gun. And then when the police get to the pool room, we'd figure out how to get our car and get out of there. I was like, this sounds crazy. Yeah. Um, when, they, when they ask if they carry guns too, Thomas goes silent. But then in a low voice, he says, when things got mean, I was prepared. <laughs> uh, they were saying sometimes he could walk away with five or six thousand dollars and then I think in a night um, the stakes were limited to what the other guy had in his pockets um, but they said when, when Cicero would come back with the cash his wife Janie would take it all and leave him broke <laughs> she was probably like yeah I got uh-huh. I got a bad meal <laughs> yeah so back to 1964, there had been a call for African-American athletes to sit out the Summer Olympics as a protest against the injustices suffered by blacks throughout the U.S. African-American players in the American Football League boycotted the 65 All-Star Game in New Orleans amid racial hostility in this host city. In the world of billiards, the 64 protests at the Commodore had gained earnest attention. Um, and the BRPAA had run out of excuses. Great answer. Mm. Um, under pressure, the organization invited Murphy to the World Invitational 14.1 Tournament, a straight pool competition to be held at the American Billiard Parlor in Burbank, California. Hey. Which, this is such a long tournament. From January 29th to March 6th, 1965, it was a standard round-robin format. 21 players, each facing the other one. Every game went to 150 points. The player with the best record would walk away with a grand prize of $3,500. Um, Cicero Murphy was at his best that week. Dressed in a tuxedo, he silently worked his way around the table with no discernible expression on his face, sticking shot after shot. At one point, clearing the table of 15 balls in 45 seconds. Wow. Uh... Squaring it off against some of the best shooters on the planet, he won his first 14 games in a row. Um, but regained momentum by beating three-time world champion Irving Crane and staging a comeback against Cowboy Jim Moore. So he had to win his last... It ended up he had to win his last match. Um, and he beat this guy named Joe the Butcher Balsis. Jeez, what a name. Yeah, uh... In his final match, Murphy went on a 56-ball run, then followed it with another 67 straight to clear the table. The final score was 150 to 73. Wow. So, and he was only 29. The 29-year-old from Bedside had done it. He won the World Billiards Championship and became the first player of any color to win on his first attempt. Which wow. also, that was his first attempt. Yeah, because uh, they wouldn't let him in. He's just stewing. Yeah, but like he won on his first. Yeah, true. Yeah, he's been practicing. In the um, dark. <laughs> in the dark. After taking the title, he was officially in the upper echelon of players. I'd say so. According to Ebony Magazine, he earned $8,000 in 1965 and figured to double that number the following year. He padded his income by giving exhibitions for $150 a day. Which I thought was smart. Um, Cicero Jr., his son, still remembers the moment he found out his father had won the title. I was in third grade. My father went to the same school, so the teachers are following his career. 
when he won, they came to my classroom, picked me up and took pictures with me. One of them said, this is my black hero son. I was, I was happy, but I didn't know what the hell was going on. I mean, they were hugging me and taking pictures with me. My grandmother worked in the lunchroom and they went down there to see her and congratulate her too. Um, and then they were saying when they were talking to the two guys, Thomas and Armstrong, his friends, um, they lit up and it was like memories they've been waiting to share. It felt like the greatest thing in the world, a black man. They wouldn't let him even let him into the tournament. And then he beat everybody. A black man just became the world's greatest player. Now he's in the record books. Um, and then he gave a quote, Cicero Murphy gave a quote to the LA times that said, I guess I, I guess that I accomplished in pool what Jackie Robinson did in baseball, Arthur Ashe in tennis, and Charlie Sifford in golf. Somebody had to do it, but believe me, I wouldn't want to go through it again. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up dying uh, when he was only 59 years old. He went into cardiac arrest while driving his car on Atlantic Avenue. The stress, like Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he, after he became famous, he stayed in Brooklyn, married Lily Roundtree, and raised a family. Um, Wait, he his, had his wife what? was named Lily because remember, they well, were like, yeah, Lily White, then... yeah, different spelling. <laughs> um, he made a program called Billiards in the Streets. He wanted to bring the game to the community, so he packed the pool table into a van and drove it all up to all five boroughs, teaching kids and giving free exhibitions at senior centers and veterans hospitals. And the New York City Parks Department sponsored the program for more than 20 years until his death. Um, and it said he's one of the best people you'd ever want to meet. Nice, quiet guy. Very gentle. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I'd never heard of him. I thought that was very long-winded, but never heard of him either. That was amazing. Cicero Murphy. Erin, do you have cast for us? I do. So... This is, this is, uh, okay, bear with me on this. It's a little bit different. Um, Serena Williams, she, I guess, mm. has retired. We'll see. We'll but, see. She'll be back. Well, yeah. For but, one thing. But just, th- I just want to say, just thank you. Yeah. Just thank, even if you don't even have to. But she's won 23 single Grand, grand Slam victories in tennis. And to me, that's the most. Um, because... I feel like she probably could have won more if she didn't almost die in childbirth. That's true. Which mm-hmm. black women are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. Mm-hmm. And the United States has the highest maternal mortality rate in the wealthy world. Say that again. That black women are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. And that the U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate in the wealthy world How in the wealthy world possible well it, because Fun. of caste because because somebody like serena williams still needed her husband who was a white man to go to the doctors and say there's something wrong with my wife right. and them to be like oh yeah she has a pulmonary embolism mm-hmm. i mean the fact that she's just here is a miracle so and yeah. it's like, what if she hadn't been Serena Williams and had her husband? Like, yeah, well, she would have. She been, at least like, had the privilege of being famous. Mm-hmm. Exactly. On her side. Exactly. 
and and a world class body because most people I don't know like most people but just she's in such amazing shape and her body is finely tuned that it's like oh pulmonary embolism that and didn't she like and like she knew like she knew yes like I feel like something was wrong yeah Mm -hmm. she knew that something was wrong which she was like and I think she maybe she had had like something similar to that before so she knew like she had done her due diligence knew her research and most importantly knew her body and so even with all of that probably robbed her of at least one maybe two grand slam victories that's what i say that's my opinion but the woman who has the most grand slams in tennis singles at 24 is an australian woman named margaret court and Margaret Court, in the 70s, she said, quote, South Africans have this thing better organized than any other country, particularly America. I love South Africa. I'll go back there anytime. So what that, that thing that she's talking about is apartheid. Apartheid. <laughs> like, strict. Like, she was down on, like, yeah, America does racism, but of all the countries, South Africa's got it unlocked. That's, that's the woman who holds the most records. And she comes up again because people are very mad. She does not have very good things to say about the LGBTQ mm. community. <laughs> she Sounds like a delight. Yeah, doesn't she? And then she gets mad when when she shows up to these like tennis tournaments and people don't talk to her. (laughs) Because, you know, she's had a lot of uh, she won't think that it's shade, but she's thrown shade at Serena. Of course she has. And Mm -hmm. and a a lot of people, because, again, in the 70s, she said South Africans have this thing better organized than any other country, particularly America. There's no way to mix what she's meaning there. So that brings it to the movie. So the editor, Thelma Schumacher, Schumacher, maybe, she is American. Wait, no. She is American. Her father worked for Standard Oil. That was like, you know, big time thing. And so most of her life, she lived overseas. Uh, She spent most of it actually in Aruba. Um, She didn't live in the United States until she was... 1955 when she was 15 and she was dumbfounded by america and the culture of america she's just like what what is this place this is so bizarre she was very politically inclined and she was very opinionated she was against the vietnam war and she was supported the civil rights movement um she was so politically inclined and because of her years spent abroad she wanted to go into the state department and so she passed her all of her state department exams but then she failed the final test when she made it known for her distaste for the south african policy of apartheid oh. Oh. <laughs> and that was a stance that apparently did not sit well with those administering the test for the uh. united states of america so so if it hadn't been for cast, we might not have the great <laughs> filmmaker. Well, there Martin you Scorsese. go. Oh my God. It was because of cast, because this woman was like, yeah. And you know what? 
fuck South Africa and their apartheid and the white man. I'm just going to go out on a limb, sprinkle and allegedly, but y'all know it's true. was like, <laughs> wait a second. I'm with Margaret Court. They got this thing locked better than we do. Wow. And so they're like, no, you cannot be in the State Department. So think about who is then no, yeah, and exactly. in the State Department upholding all of that. So I was just like, oh my gosh, wow, that's wild. If it hadn't been for cast and just America being, being casty, Thelma yeah. Schumacher would have been doing who knows what in the diplomacy of the time, spr sprinkling her genius. Instead, we get to watch her sprinkle her genius in this film as she's just cutting from close-up cute like the, the editing yeah. in this, she is amazing. She yes. all time one of the greats. Jesus. Well done. <clears throat> uh, so now we're to nerd alerts. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have a couple, but I'm gonna save them for tasties because they're tasties too. Okay. About about Paul Newman's jewelry in this. Oh, interesting. Uh, do uh -huh. you talk about his sunglasses? I do. Okay, good. I'm dying to know where they're from. I can tell you. Okay. October. We'll October. So what was the world like in 1986? Going I, have, I have no idea. I was a very happy person with my two children, a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Well, the year does not start off great because we have the space shuttle Challenger disintegrating 73 <sighs> seconds after liftoff. Yeah, we do. And that's one of those crazy things about memories because I always swore, I knew that I was sick and you were sick, but I always swore that you were pregnant with my brother. And that's not true. I don't and know, I where, don't he know where he was. <laughs> I don't know where he was because I was on the couch dying. I called Poppy, told him, you have to come home. I can't take care of the kids. He said, I can't. And I don't remember <laughs> him. I remember me being sick. I remember you being sick. I remember the explosion. And I don't did you know. Guys did you guys lose him somewhere? He just was, I... pro he was being him. What's he doing now? Probably just sleeping. <laughs> I don't, maybe he was at preschool that morning. Maybe somebody else had taken him. I don't know. I don't know. In my memory, you're pregnant with him. So that's, it's just wild to me when it's like, no. Haley's Comet was a huge thing because it was passing by. It's the only well, known. Is... Oh, good. You're going to tell me. <laughs> 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 it's the... I mean, earlier she said, well, everyone knows. Something and I had no idea. So oh you, oh, you just need to stop me. That's usually just my mind trying to <laughs> to slow down my mouth. It's a filler. Instead of saying oh or like. I'm just like everyone knows. Um well everyone knows that it's the only known short period comet visible with the naked eye on Earth. I still don't know what that means, but wow. So a comet is a moving projectile in space. It's got to be, it's some sort of projectile. It's in, it's got some sort of orbit going around the sun. And there's 
all of that stuff that's going out there. It's special because I think somebody clocked it and they could clock it long, long time ago with their eyes. So that's why it's special. There's other, there has to be other comets that zoom by, but with our naked eye, we don't see it. And it just doesn't have the PR that Halley's Comet does. Right, right. I mean, that's Different a big than thing. asteroids. Yeah, or something out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because so. it's in the orbit, it comes by every so many years. Right, so it'll next be seen in 2061. Oh, well, so. enjoy looking at Hashtag goals, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Um, I won't be able to see probably by then. Anyway, so oh, and who are we kidding? Will there be an Earth? <laughs> oh, this. Oh, Sweden- actually, if you're interested in space, mm-hmm. Jonathan Van Ness had an episode on his podcast, Getting Curious, this week called "Can Asteroids Rock Our World?" Ooh, with Christina Hernandez and Tarek Daly. Oh, I'll have to check that out. And it's very interesting because they can like, they like, they're each studying a specific asteroid Mm -hmm. that Ah. is going to like hit Earth in like 500 years. I mean, don't quote me on any of this shit, but like they know when. Mm -hmm. It's very fascinating. Space is fascinating. It's so fascinating. And also just when you, all of that that's out there is within all of us. It's it's wild if you really think about it because it's just carbon. Like, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, look at my mom's face. What are you talking about? Well, I've been doing readings. Oh, the Swedish Prime Minister, Olaf Palm, was Olaf. shot. Yeah, he was shot in Sweden. I, I bring this in up. Sweden? I bring this up because people talk about guns in the United States, and rightfully so, but... When you when I come across a Swedish prime minister in 1986 assassinated on his way home from watching movies in Stockholm, Sweden, I'm just mm, like I don't oh. remember anything about that. Yeah, that happened. Also in 1986, so many bombings, so many. Mm. There was a TWA flight that was bombed. There mm-hmm. was a Berlin discotheque that was bombed. There was a Russell Street bombing in Melbourne, Australia. And those were, I, there were other bombings before that, but I was like, got to the TWA and the, these three, and I'm like, there are so many bombings. Big, big thing. Why you were told not to kick anything. Mm-hmm. To this day. The United Kingdom and the Kingdom of Netherlands signed a peace treaty ending the 335-year war. One of the longest wars in human history came to an end in 1986. <clears throat> what? Never, you never heard of it? Well, that's because there was not one single shot that was fired. Aww. It was a completely bloodless war. The Apparently, nicest war ever. It was, so there, the Netherlands in like June 1651, the UK, there's this, there's the Netherlands and then there's the Isle of Scilly. S-C-I-L-L-Y. And so the UK declared war. Like, they're like, Netherlands, that's ours. We're at war. We're at war. And Over the Dutch, this island? Yeah. And the, it's like, like, I think it's like part of an island. And the Dutch were like, all right, 
We don't want no smoke. We're we're gonna but go to they, Aruba and like colonize there. We're gonna go to right. Africa. <laughs> Plus, they were smoking plenty of stuff that made him go, whatever. I don't. In 1651, I don't. Who knows? Maybe. But anyway, so the UK declared war and the Dutch just left, but they never declared peace. And so in this like island Lost town, <laughs> like the people were always like, we're still at war. We're still at war. And then wow. finally, like, a guy decided to look into it, and he was like, oh, yeah, sure enough. I guess technically we are still at war. So oh, then crazy. they drew up, like, the peace treaty, and then everybody signs in there, and they're like, I guess the people of the Isle of Skilly can sleep at ease tonight. <laughs> like, they were just... Uh, you know what? That happened to me once, and um, I had a boyfriend, and we never broke up. Well, this that makes my tummy hurt. In middle school, we just went to different high schools, and we never broke up. <laughs> so you're you're technically still going steady? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> well, Is that a kid now, I'm not sure. Maybe I should break the news later. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there. I think that the, the according to the state of Virginia, like that broke them up. <laughs> like, oh, know, okay, we're good. You're now broken up. We're so valid. Legally married. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You just ghosted each other. Yeah. Um, we have the Peacock logo is unveiled for NBC. Wait. No, the new Peacock label. Logo. logo. The it's a the, the Peacock logo. I don't. I because they had one in the '60s, so I guess yeah. they like. Oh yeah. no! It was that NBC one. There was like black. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it used like, to have they used to have like foofies on the top of each one. Yeah, of they just went the slim down. Right, right, right. Um in May, Top Gun was released. Mm. Okay, 86. Okay. okay. Um, also in 86, Chernobyl nuclear power plant uh, disaster happened. Bit of a bummer, huh? Yeah. yeah. Traces of radioactive deposits unique to Chernobyl were in every country in the northern hemisphere. So that's nice. This a nice, a nice what? Two years before we go over to Europe. So I got all that. Actually, yeah. we all got all that in us. So good times. And then there's this story: a cargo ship named the Cayenne, K H I A N, the Cayenne Sea. It departs from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with 14,000 tons of toxic waste. Oh, no. And put it in the ocean, huh? It used to, they used to send it to New Jersey, but in 1984. (laughs) That's tracks. Yeah. So fitting. 1984, Jersey said, uh uh, no. (laughs) No. Even our standards are too high for this. Nope. (laughs) So it just set sail, and for 16 months, it was just wandering the Atlantic around the Caribbean, all the all the brown places. Oh, oh yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Finally, it dumped 4,000 tons of toxic waste in Haiti. Oh, Because wow. remember, France has been fleecing Haiti, so they're always in need of money. Apparently, though, Greenpeace was like, Haiti. I, what did they tell you? And they were like, they said that it was topsoil fertilizer. And Greenpeace is like, no, <laughs> it's toxic waste. And Haiti was like, what? Oh, 
these colonizers keep lying to me. And then, so then they were like, no, no, Hades, like, hey, no, you got to come take this. You got to take this. And the, the Kayans from the sea is like, what? It, it was bye. already sailed. It was, yeah, it sailed away. It was like, bye bye. Oh, man. So Hades then, can't catch a break. I know. So then Hades, like, what is this? Unbelievable. And so then, um, so then the ship, the Kayan Sea just disappears. And then it's it's floating, it's just going around the world. And then somehow, though, 10,000 uh, toxic tons seem to just disappear between Singapore and Sri Lanka. And when they finally like, got a hold of the uh, the ship, the crew, like, you know, for the depositions, they're like, hey, what the fuck happened to all your toxic waste? They're like, it disappeared some in the Atlantic, some in the Indian Ocean. We so, lost it. Yeah. So that's uh they never heard of that. Just just doing that. Yeah, just 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 so you oh. can look up more on, on that wildness. I just thought it was wild. Just Haiti just just catches yeah. strays left and right. The top five movies. Number five was Star Trek Four, The Voyage Home. Number four was the Karate Kid Part Two. Number three was Platoon. Number mm. two was Crocodile Dundee. Oh. Top Gun, and, number one. Yep, the number one film was Top Gun. Same with this year. Number one film, Top Gun Crocodile Maverick. Crocodile Dundee. That was my first movie I saw in the theater. Just, we've gone over that. Must have still been in the theater in 87. That's why we don't it, know. It had to be the second one. Had to be the second one, huh? Mm-hmm. Maybe they took me to the Dollar Theater. Well, that's a possibility. I gotta ask my mom. Or did they? Or did they put? Did they put it in the VCR and and make you think you? They they put you real close to the screen. (laughs) Your dad. And they brought you popcorn. (laughs) The Academy Award Best Picture nominees were A Room with a View, The Mission, Hannah and Her Sisters, Children of a Lesser God, and the winner, Platoon. This movie wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. I can see that. No, it so, wasn't. Those are my nerd alerts. Okay, so we are to negative reheatables. So, um, Tom Cruise's kissing when he kissed. Oh my God, that started. was that was that was more that was more harrowing than Michael Jackson kissing Priscilla Presley. Oh, uh, wait, Lisa Marie Presley. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on. I apologize. Okay. Tom Cruise's pool cue at the... Um, what was what was he doing with the pool cue when he thought he was so cool? He was just doing a bunch of Asian cultural appropriation, yeah. martial arts moves, and just being an all-round dick. <laughs> Tom I mean, Cruise's high heels. Did you see how high the heels were of his shoes? Oh, yeah. I liked uh-huh. them. <laughs> and Tom Cruise's hair in this. Hey, how is his hair so high? You're telling me every morning Vincent had to blow dry his hair? It's the van- He basically had the vanilla ice. Yeah. A flat top. And he had to go back and do some... You, like when you have to do after the the film is edited and you have to go back and do some 
reshoots. Reshoots. He had this hair. I thought it was a, a piece in there. But no, he had let his hair grow out and they had to do something to make it look, oh, they they wet it so that it looked like he had just come out of the shower or something. Oh. Yeah, for the reshoots because it was a different style than It was so poofy. Like you, I, I don't know. I don't have hair like that. So I just have a question. Is that something where he just like combed it and it would be poofy like that? Or no, I mean, I, I don't thought have hair like that. He either, like so. he need a volume. So that would be like a whole in the morning. Like a lot of the, product, a right? lot of product. Got to put like product a whole in to do and probably a, a little roller brush drying each section. Yeah. Time. That's what I'm seeing. So I, that's what I, I had to watch this movie twice because I got distracted by a lot of things. Most of them was Paul Newman related the first time I watched it. But I also got sucked into this thing where I just kept staring at Tom Cruise's hair. And I'm like, you could not. every morning this character is doing this. He didn't seem like the kind of guy that would like blow dry his hair. But maybe he was when, you know, you think about it more. I don't know. Just interesting. I did get an answer. Mm-hmm. It said, she said, I said, you always told me Crocodile Dundee was the first movie I saw in the theater. And she said it was. And I okay. said, but it came out in 1986. <laughs> 86. And she said, doesn't mean we saw when it was new. Oh. If I, recall, if I recall, we went to a cheaper place that got movies and they were a little older. Oh. And you were a very young baby. Yes. Oh, okay. And that makes sense. Okay. Thank you, Rita, for the clarification. Yeah, I had to get to the mm. bottom of that. That's a okay. knife. <laughs> okay, those are my uh, negatives that stood out. Uh, a lot of Tom Cruise-ness. Yeah, I'll save all of those for my, um, I won't spoil my LVP, uh, but my yeah, I wonder two what her LVP I wrote is. down were waterbeds. And oh, oh, now, now wait. You, I know who no. had a waterbed. I just... <laughs> Why would they, like, I meant to look up the history of waterbeds, and I didn't. I mean, here's the thing about the waterbeds, is that I was like, what, this is, and then I went down and tried it out, and I was like, oh, no, I get it. It's... He was obsessed. Yeah. He was oh. obsessed. And it was intended for medical therapies. It was, and... fun. it was warm. You could feel the warmth, and you would just be like. It was invented in 1833. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say what kind of uh, what it claimed to heal, but well, he had it through high school. Mm-hmm. Well, not very practical in my opinion. And then the other one I wrote was a handrail shouldn't come that easily off the wall. No, it should. Well, not. but well, my father. <laughs> has a scar on his arm from a handrail <laughs> that came off and he like impaled himself on it and my mom was like well you need to figure out how to get because he had a stick shift and I remember because luckily I was a very clumsy kid and prone to needing surgical supplies so we had plenty of surgical supplies in my closet I remember my mom like I was like what's going on he's like it's nothing go back to sleep and, like, they had to pack up my dad's arm because he had to drive his stick shift 79 Alfa Romeo to the emergency room. So this is my question. I was thinking about this the other day. 
Why didn't he just take my car? It was an automatic. Maybe be, because his was parked in the back. Like, yeah, wouldn't you think it would be easier? Put it in reverse, park it in the cul-de-sac, and take my car down and to the... By that time, he's already figured out how let to out. do the... Just let out. And he had to... Yeah, because yeah. I would have had to... Adam was a baby. I would have had to get him up. It was honestly... Pro- well, no, because I we had all that surgical stuff, so it was in 87... I mean, I would have had to re-diaper him, get him ready, get you up. It just seemed faster for him to take himself to the hospital, which he did, and all turned out well. And honestly, he was in the Army. It was a flesh wound. I feel like he was trained to be able to, like, take care of this himself. What would he do behind enemy lines, exactly. you know? This is yeah. good. What if you bring that story up, I had a memory come up, and one time I did get in a lot of trouble because I liked to come down the stairs in our house, like swinging down the oh. the handrails of our stairs. And one time, did not the handrail did not stay attached. Oh. The banister, I guess, as you would call it. So uh-huh. maybe that was not a negative. Maybe that's just a negative reheatable in my mind. I've always been, because of that, very leery. But I guess I stand by it. Yeah, it should not come off that easily. But it it could. And so, but I don't. But it could. So that is believable, but it shouldn't be the case. Mm -hmm. And it did, I mean, it it ruptured. It it like. It it looked like it cut him. Because it. It it, it, it his arm. Oh, no, we're talking about my dad. Yeah, like that did, but even in the in the movie when Tom Cruise like rips it off, it looks like at the end he's just like he like kind of goes down. It looks like he could have like caught a straight splinter or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that scene did remind me of my dad's incident. And he yeah. still has the scar to yeah. this day. Yeah. Do, do you have any No, oh. I didn't write any more down. Um I think it's hilarious to see Tom Cruise with his old teeth. <laughs> yes. With that one tooth right in the middle of his mouth. Uh, I'm like, oh, you got those fixed. Uh, we already talked about Vinny's hair. Okay. Oh, man. I know that, every, like, okay, we get it. You really like Paul Newman, blah, blah, blah. But this scene where they're leaning up on Paul Newman's car, and he's like, get off my car. What are you What are you doing leaning on my car? And then, he, and then he's like, you got metal on, the, on your clothes? And he's like, look at it. And he's just, ah, I... I just, ew, just a connection right there. Because it drives me crazy, especially when you see people leaning on people's cars. I'm like, is that your car? People just lean. Your jeans, clothes, they got studs, all kinds of, you know. Oh, thank goodness I am not allowed to wash my car in the parking lot anymore. Because just when I go out, I see all of the little scratches and I just have to just have to let it go. I, I have to channel my inner zen and let it go. Let it go. And where did you get all that from? From my dad, because yeah. I was never allowed to lean up on a car. There yeah, was somebody else never got it. somebody else got that too. Mm-hmm. The Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. It, my dad to. would would fall would go in front of the television set and be like, "Don't you ever think that you will grow. no?" Like he would do that. No, no. Those white boys. Sliding on that Confederate flag? No. Got it. 
like you did it was hands off there's none of these putting stickers on the window of a car no there was no eating oh, no. in we a car no you respect the car inside and outside it's like the national parks you got to leave it better than you found it with this car <laughs> exactly <laughs> you leave one glass in there jeez we don't even know don't even know um, then it comes to find out <laughs> I had a little thing happen when I was driving Adam's and it was Cadillac? Just... Oh, you were driving Adelina. Adam's Cadillac yeah well, I drive I drive your 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 combined Cadillac I'm sorry I know I still call it his car but it's only his car because we had to sell my car mm-hmm. Rest to bring in his car master. Zoom, zoom. And I, it was just that another car, like I was trying to get by, it was narrow street and it's just the rear view mirror just bent in. And I did not want to tell him. And then finally I did. And he was like, oh, that happens to me all the time. Wow. He's, that's, that's his mother in him right there. <laughs> that's his. Oh yeah. Cause. Ooh, we. <laughs> One time I was driving my own car in Texas and, and it was a narrow space and there was this tr- uh, pickup truck and, and it, it's fender was, you know, whopper jawed. And I thought I was going by and it caught the side of my car mm. and, <laughs> and the driver goes, didn't hit hurt my truck. No, but sure took the hell out of your car. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Poppy was very nice about it because it was my car. It wasn't the Mustang. So <laughs> yes, and remember the the fa- the fence of the the champagne oh, Grand Am. Oh man, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh man. Um, when Paul Newman says that playing on the shorter pool table was from dwarves, that did I not know. age well at all. Mm, no. But uh, so you're like, oh, okay, in 1986. Um, the, I thought that the final showdown between Eddie and Vinny was very interesting because the first time I watched it, I, I was like, wait, oh, they just played and he just lost? I thought that the, the whole thing, usually the, a whole film would be, that would be the main thing. Right, the the right. music would swell and stuff. So when I watched it the first time, I thought it would be bigger. But I did have a complaint. Not completely different, but a deeper appreciation upon watching it the second time, um, which made me just like really like the film so much better on my second viewing. So that's I just thought that was very interesting. And then my final, it's not really a negative reheatable, but it's like oh the times how they were when they he takes him out to dinner and then he puts that little bet because of like oh he knows human nature. And he's like, okay, I'll leave with the girl. You get dinner. And then he's like, oh, stop. Wait here. And then puts down $10. He's like, but I got your cab. <laughs> that just made me laugh. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. If only $10 would cover it. Would cost it would cost $50 yeah. these days. So we're to positive reheatables. When when uh, Eddie was walking through the Toys R Us, only it wasn't Toys R Us, all those Care Bears. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love the Care Bears. The Care, we Bears. Care Bears. They're back. Care oh. Bears are back? 
Yeah, I like plushy Care Bears. Oh. I remember walking through a Toys R Us. My brother was super young, and it was because we were birthday shopping for him. And he was in the cart. And I remember looking at my mom like, what? We're like, yeah, we're birthday shopping for him. I'm like, he's right here. And she, he's like, he don't know. And I remember like we picked out like Care Bear and he named it Hubby. <laughs> and it was like this gr- this mint green yeah. um, with with uh, sheep hair. And that was like what, and it was just funny to me that like, you're like, yeah, pick out what you want to go for his birthday. And I was like, but he's here. It's like he don't know, and he did it. And and I remember you looked at me and like I told you he don't know. <laughs> uh, Paul Newman in that black suit. Oh, oh, that was nice. Um, Carmen's jackets. I loved all of Carmen's mm, yeah, jackets. Yeah, she was cool. I liked her. I yeah, I liked Carmen too. Um, the the sound, the clacking of those balls. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Okay, those are my paws. Mimi? Um, rum and pineapple juice sounds tasty. Oh, it's, that's, it's basically a pina colada. You just yeah. add in coconut. coconut. That one pool hall, they were at very nice seats to watch pool. Like the upper, the higher, yeah. the, the like, yeah, high Like ball, the shoe shine. Ball. Like yeah. they were yeah. your shoe shine in. Yeah. I like the song. The girl from Ipanema. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. Um, I like how many shots there were of pool. Like, I feel like it would have yes. been an easy movie. Like, it's easy to make these movies about pool or whatever, but have the story be just, like, about the hustler and not, like, hustling and the love story and all that shit, and you wouldn't see any pool. But there were a lot of good shots with that. I saw one, I saw something on TikTok about, um, they were talking about that shot where Tom Cruise is doing all the dumb, dumb moves with his pool stick and moving all around, but they were talking about how it showcases Martin Scorsese's way of shooting. And like, he was always moving the camera around the pool table and like Tom Cruise was moving the whole time. Um, so I did appreciate the shots and pool halls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You got, I think everybody, I know that I went through a period where I was hanging out in a lot of pool halls, but I, I, I played, I, and I could, I was okay. But then I remember like you, Ma, were like, you're pretty good at pool. <laughs> and we went to a pool hall one time and you were just like, mm, I don't know. And then you're just like, crack, 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 crack. <laughs> I'm glad like, you remember it that way. <laughs> what the hell? Like pool hall, pool and mini golf, you were just like <laughs> surprisingly really good at and like would get really quiet and really competitive. And it was just very interesting. That's I, would, I still it's 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 geometry and I still don't understand the you know the ends it's for the straight shot, I could do it, but the hit it on the side so that it makes this go here and I could never do all that. Yeah. I mean, I, I could, I would play, but I wasn't, 
it was more of, hey, do you want to play? Then I'd be like, oh, yeah, like, okay, I'll play. But I wasn't ever like, oh, I'm going to go to the pool. I would just usually go drink and watch. Right. It and would then be if like, needed to. Yeah. We have a friend here who is on a team. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that's when I got, I didn't even know you could buy your, well, I did. My grandparents had a pool table, so I, like, grew up playing pool. But that, so... Adam started hanging out with our friend Robin. They were played pool and she was on it. She, she plays every Sunday. Mm. Um, but he's like, there's so much you can learn. But we went to this place. We went to like a billiards hall, like a pool hall like this, like in the movie. It's so crazy. Like there's like, people are serious about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a place that was down the street from us when I first moved to LA in North Hollywood. I don't think it's there now because that block has been super gentrified in the 20 years. But I remember like going there and it was like that when you go in and it's just nothing but pool halls. And Mm -hmm. you would go there. We would hang out there, especially in the summertime because it's so hot in the valley in September and just go in there and yeah, just hang out and play. And it was at the time, and this this is in 86, so... There was still, a, in the early 2000s, it was still smoky. Because yeah. people oh, would yeah. smoke all the time. And now, I wonder how, like, the banishment of smoking, if that has any correlation to the banishment of pool halls. Interesting. Yeah. You know? Could very know. well. Yeah. I feel like dive bars lasted. Yeah. yeah we, we still have Fast Eddie's here, where it's a bar, but then there are pool tables there, too. Mm-hmm. I have and in North Carolina, for example, like some states, if you said that it was a private club, you could keep smoking. Oh, oh. So and people keep would charge the, uh, like people a dollar a dollar. Well, no, they would be like, this was like five years ago. They would be like, here's <laughs> you pay a dollar for the whole year, and then it it's like that's your membership. Yeah, that's so like the first, and they would write your name down so then you right, could right. Yeah. But that was always my least favorite part of it because I was like, "Thanks." Mm-hmm. Um, is it to me? Or am I? Is it my good readables? Yeah. Yes. Um. Okay. Uh, no disrespect to the Queen Joanne Woodward, but I would take any omelet that Paul Newman made for me. But I would wouldn't be mad at trying a caviar and sour cream omelet. If it came from Paul Newman's hands, I would take it. I I'd need just a just a smudge of sour cream, and I I like caviar. So, but I'm thinking like because I was th- at first when I was like ew, but then I thought about it, I'm like no, caviar is salty and sour cream, and you get the eggs in there. I'm like, you know what? We're gonna try one at Christmas. You know, oh, we're gonna try yeah. one. At All right, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, Vincent, he was kind of. He was wrong about the video game Stalker, but he was right because he said in 10 years I'll be at West Point. And he was right about video games training him for a military career because isn't that what drone pilots? I mean, no disrespect to drone pilots, but it just kind of seems that he was kind of on to something there. Yeah, It's probably a little bit more difficult than that, but just saying. Um, Well, the way video games are now, I mean, back he was playing when it was... uh, yeah, but he was like with the reflexes and stuff. Like, you know, yes. now yeah. you look at a, a drone console and it's pretty much just a video game thing and they just use it to fly planes. It's it's crazy. Iggy Pop, 
showing yeah. up in a cameo. Yeah. Oh man, Iggy, I went through, of course, we know I went through a big glam rock phase. So of course <laughs> that included the Stooges. Of course it included Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop has this song, I'm only five foot two, that for a solid five years was maybe my personal anthem. I gotta I gotta go back and listen to it because it was great. Iggy Pop was the lead front man of a band called the Stooges. Check them out. Search and destroy. I just want to be your dog. Then he had like solo stuff. Just one of the great, one of the greats. Um, you know, I love a montage. So when Eddie is getting back in shape, that whole montage loved it. Mm-hmm. Love. He, he's like, get them. I need to get my eyes fixed. He's he's like going in, putting in the putting in his ten thousand hours, and then he ups it. The man doesn't just go jogging; he goes swimming. Yeah, he did. That was a beautiful dive. Yeah, and then, oh, that uh, was that's a funny when, dive. And that's when I knew he was serious, because anybody can be out in these streets running. It's that point where you make enough money that you go to swim your cardio one day. One day, God willing. You already said the sound and the editing of the pool balls. That was just fantastic. Just and also just Martin Scorsese, just whipping the camera around, doing all all sorts of funness with it. Just really making me feel like, oh, this is a great sports movie. The shot of Eddie in the pool ball reflection is a chef's kiss. For <gasps> How cool was that? That was, that was cool. It's iconic. It this, this blew my mind. So you know when he goes to the pool tournament and it starts, the camera starts at the top and it's kind of, I don't know the proper name for the architecture, but it's kind of domed. And then the camera tilts down and you see all of the empty pool. Oh yeah, that's cool. And then it comes down over his shoulder. I, I look, I was like, oh man, I got so excited. And, I, and it reminded me of the Queen's Gambit. It, mm-hmm. In my mind, oh, I was yeah. like, oh, this is like the Queen's Gambit. Do you know that the Queen's Gambit was based on a novel written by Walter Tevis, who was the guy that wrote these? Oh, because type. pool is a lot like that. You have to see what's going to happen next, where your ball's going to lie, so that, you know, you know, like you have to be able to see those moves with the balls, just like with the chess pieces. And it's a solo game, and she was an anti-hero in the way that Fast Eddie is, is an anti-hero. And so I wrote that down in my notes, and then when I was doing the particulars and I saw that he wrote that, I, I got a little goosebumpy because I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, The beginning when Fast Eddie, he first, he just, you know, he, he can't, he can't, sh- he hears that sledgehammer of a break and just how like, Paul Newman gets distracted. And then that they're playing Phil Collins's One More Night. <laughs> it works so perfectly. But also, I started listening because I'm like, man, I know that. I started singing along. It was like a Bonnie Raitt type situation with me. Yeah, and then I, I look. Phil Collins a lot. Because that's from the No Jacket Required CD or album that I believe came out in 85. Uh-huh. That was played a lot in the cars. I put that album on yesterday and I was just singing along to all these Phil Collins songs <laughs> from that era. Um <clears throat> okay. 
Uh-oh, she had to take the, a drink. Well, not for, I, I got ahead of myself. Warren Zevon, the werewolves in London. That, mm. I would always hear about that song, and I didn't really, like, growing up, that wasn't a song that I heard. But then in listening to, like, the classic rock, I always remembered it because, to me, it was such... It was in the in my mind. I categorize it with Green Onions in that it's a rocking piano-led song, and there, are, like, there aren't really too many of those in my mind. They get lumped together, and so like Werewolves of London always stood out to me. And then seeing this scene, I'm like, oh, that's why it's so, like, because like guys my age are like, where like lose their shit when Werewolves of London comes on. Like they love that song, and then seeing like oh it came from that and like tom cruise i'm i like tom cruise more than teeny likes tom cruise but i am not a tom cruise stan i like tom cruise in that he's really good at being a dick and that yeah. where that werewolves of london yeah. london scene is like that pretty much encapsulates why like tom cruise's thing because yes. he he is so good in that scene because it's it's like you were saying before, the camera's moving. He's doing all of those shots. He's like, he has it all down pat. The bravo, just the whole dickishness is just wafting off of him. He is just so good in it. But also he's just being like such a dick. Yes. And you just don't like him. Yeah, but in that moment, you kind of do because he is winning and he is like, it's that thing where you have to give it's he to me. It's like Tom Brady. It's like I respect his how good he is at doing what he is that he's doing, even though I don't like it. It's I like Poppy always says, if you're going to come in into a game and be that flamboyant, you better bring it to the game too. Like you can't come in there being. Yeah, you got to back it up. Yeah, and no, 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 I, you have to like it. No, yeah, you no, don't. no, you don't. And I understand why people don't, but I also am like, no, but that is why he became Tom Cruise. And also, I do see it as a generational thing because growing up, being a six-year-old, seeing like other boys who were around my age, like six and seven younger five seeing him do that in this movie as I grew up and had to interact with those boys now it all kind of makes sense I'm like oh you thought that that was something that was cool to be emulated and I always thought like he's being an asshole you know and so I kind of like it just made a lot of things make sense it went watching it like oh they thought this was cool and mm-hmm. I always thought that Paul Newman was the cool one. Exactly. And, and they always thought that Paul Newman was just the old fogey. But I'm yeah. an old soul. So I always, so. Exactly. It's like when I'm interact, like just thinking about the guys in my life, I'm like, oh yeah, you just thought he was so cool, but he was such an asshole. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I really like that it's a sports movie that basically the old guy still got it. He's just being someone who's. Uh, a little bit older now i'm like oh man <laughs> I, I i don't know if i would have liked this like i feel like this movie hits different when you're older and you're more looking at it through um you know eddie's point of view than from vince's mm-hmm. yeah the- as someone who came within five seconds of my pr for my mile time that was set in 
six, seven years ago today. I appreciate that as well. And as someone, I'm, I, am, I am so proud of you. As someone on the other side of 40, enjoy it. <laughs> well, no, I haven't been doing that for a long time. I'm just saying that you can still do those things when you're older. Some people, right. don't, some people don't get PRs until they're older, uh, past 40. Yeah, but it, some it, people never get them. Yeah, but it's also the the wisdom of having this whole experience to draw from, and like of things that you've already kind of like. Uh, it's not his first rodeo, and then yeah. the young kid with the it's a tale as old as time because it just always keeps happening, and it's always going to keep happening. Um, the ending, I really love how this isn't from me. I read an article called. The Way You Use It by Alex Kirschenbaum. And it basically explained the ending to me. And it was basically about how the film is all about process. And it, it it's one of those things that personally blew my mind because of things that I've been reading and like thinking about this week, um, where it was saying about action and it's about the action. It's not about the outcome. And so the fact that this is a movie that is all about the process and it's just about the doing and that it cuts it off before, like, mo and that's why I think most people, not most people, but the people who didn't like it, because they're like, why are you cutting it off right before they're really going to play? That's not the point. And it is a very, it has kind of a zen message to it of kind of power of now, kind of a, an awareness kind of thing that everybody gets caught up in the outcome and doing something with a goal attached to it. I need to do this so that this will happen. And things that I've been reading and just like thinking on and seeing, it's funny that this backs up that, that it is about the process. It's about the journey. It's just about the doing. Don't attach the outcome to the doing. Mm -hmm. So I thought that's wild. And this is my hot take. Uh -oh. I think it's a good reheatable, but it's not for everybody. Eddie's teaching style. So, Eddie was always straight up with Vincent and Carmen. He always told them in words to them. He explained what he wanted. He said, Vincent, sometimes you have to lose to win. He said, Carmen, we're partners in this. He told it to them. And then they didn't listen to them until he had to put hands on them. Yeah. And then they... Vincent didn't listen to him until he left and then he gets beat up and Carmen didn't listen to that him until he like, there is it, you know, he locks the door and he's like, Oh, you want to, I like to do it in the shower. He wasn't going to do anything to her, but she didn't know in that moment. And he's like, look, I'm not your boyfriend. and I'm not your dad. I'm your partner. This isn't, this is like, don't try to seduce me or anything. And he had told her that before. Right. So, he is, he is telling, like, you, you need to listen to the words that I'm saying. And then they didn't listen. And then he needed to, like, physically show them. And then they got the, then they got the message. I mean. Well, <clears throat> he, he was rough in handling her, but that's as far as he took it because that's as far as he needed to take it to get the point across. Yeah, but, but she yeah. didn't, in that moment, she didn't know. Right, like, she right. knew that she, you know, she, because, hey, she has a police record. 
and she's seeing this older guy and you know she's like she's young herself so she's using what she has to work with her currency that she knows she has to work with but when he locks that door and comes at her on the bed and then drags her in there she does not like you if i'm carmen i'm thinking great this is yep great um this is an assault uh, i'm getting assaulted and in no way is it her fault or anything like that but it's she still has that trauma of i thought i was going to be attacked and then he's like yeah. no, now do i have your attention mm-hmm. and he had to but he had to he had to do that so that he had her attention to like snap her out of it did he have to do it that way no but he didn't have time to waste to keep it's like my dad said sometimes i don't have time to explain to you <laughs> what i need you to do and he basically just cut to the point and knew the best way because he was a, a student of human nature like all right i tried it nice now i have to go to 11 because i don't have time to keep repeating myself the controversial interesting take but it worked there you go so now we're to quotable <clears throat> luck plays a part in nine ball, but with some players, luck is an art. Luck itself is an art. That's that's big in the Paul Newman documentary, and his grandson has that tattooed on him. Remember in the documentary that Ethan Hawke won? Because uh-huh. he was always say luck itself is an art. That was a Paul Newman, like Paul Newman you know, hooked on to that, and his grandson has it tattooed on him. You're an incredible flake. I have, hey, watch the paint. Yes. Um, That's the problem with Mercy Kid. It just ain't professional. Uh, When when Paul Newman is playing a, a, a guy of lesser abilities in, in, pool and the guy kept going I didn't deserve that I didn't deserve that (laughs) Paul Newman goes yes you did yes you did did you come here Mm -hmm. yeah you put you put your balls on the table right yeah deserved it and then when uh when Janelle goes he's a little prick yeah I I had oh those were mine I had Sometimes if you lose, you win. Mm-hmm. A lot of times if you lose, you really win. Vincent, get in the car. This is embarrassing. You look like some girl who got felt up at the drive-in. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they're trying to make Vincent lose and he's not listening and what's her name? Carmen. Carmen goes up to him and said, you win one more game and you're going to be humping your fist for a long, long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that was that was the direct result from the scene earlier when, you know, when he was like, look, we're partners in this. The whole reason, like, you need to work with what, like, not to me. <laughs> Don't show your ass and stuff to me. You need to make that work to control him. And that's what she went and did. She was like, oh, he's not doing it? All right. I have, is that it, Teeny? Mm -hmm. 
I have you couldn't find big time with a roadmap. Oh yeah. <laughs> that the great scene uh between Carmen and Paul Newman when she explains how they met how she and Vincent met and he's like his mother has one just like it and she's referring to his mother's necklace <laughs> oh Paul Newman he got say, a lot of balls but he don't got no brains <laughs> nah, she's just like he's sweet <laughs> um Paul Newman says it's just like one of those things you never think about but can make your day like electricity and as someone who was just very scared for the last uh, eight days about the electricity situation in Southern California during the heat wave, I can say yes. Because when you are thinking about all the things that you rely on for electricity, that is one of those things that you just don't think about but makes your day. Her ninja. Um, she couldn't do her ninja without electricity. It's just, it's just everything. I don't, like, thankfully I don't live in a gas place. It's all electricity, so... It's like it, it's you take the good, you take the bad. Um, who are you working, me or him? And he says that to Julian. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is great. He's got to learn to be himself, but on purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's just peep, like just mic drop right there. That's everyone. He's just learn to be yourself, but on purpose. Um, the 1960s, they didn't even have cars then. oh it's hilarious and then the very end hey i'm back yes so my lvp is ego oh yes ego ego Mm, letting ego yeah because i mean he couldn't he couldn't lose because of his ego so he he messed up a whole lot of being able to make money, which is what she wanted, because of his ego. And even Paul Newman, at the, the forfeiting, oh, yeah. when he just, like, because his ego was so, because he thought that he had beaten him, his protege, because he went and did the training, and then to find out, oh, he dumped? And then he was so shook by that that he had this chance to still, like, make money and train and do it and he was just no yeah i'm out yeah yeah i have a double lvp mm-hmm. tom cruise and vincent oh yeah agreed. okay because because they are two different entities my lvp is vincent so okay i just okay. hate i just you know i hate tom yeah. cruise so i had to include him in there it wasn't like and I actually said at one point, I was like, I wonder if I would like his char- this character more if it was played by someone played by else. somebody else. I want to know, can we unpack your, like, like, when did you first become aware of Tom Cruise? And... Probably on Oprah's couch. Ah. I, I feel... Might have something to do with it. I think that that mm-hmm. like I'm not. I mean, saying... like I knew it. I've seen him in movies before, but I I'm sure that that has something in my mind. But it's and about Katie that... Holmes. I was a really big Katie Holmes fan. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that that has something subconsciously to do with it. But every move he makes annoys me. Um, but a couple of things that I did have about Vincent. 
his ego, like we just spoke about, disrespecting the Cadillac. Yes. Drinks on the pool table. You don't do that. Everybody knows you don't put drinks on the pool table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the moves with the pool stick like oh, come on so dude. over the top yeah mm. and carmen was way too good for him mm-hmm. can i ju- also can i just point out like to add on to your thing about vincent is that he met carmen at the police station mm-hmm. because her boyfriend got busted robbing their his parents place and he she was the getaway driver i guess he doesn't know all that but then to say he has a necklace. Oh, my mom used to have one just like that. And it never occurred to him that he would be like, hey, mom, my, my new girlfriend has a necklace just like that. And she's like, oh, you mean the necklace that was stolen? And, and then, I never got back. And I never yeah. got back. Because I still know about Pa's ring that got stolen from uh, a a uh, packing place that was not Mayflower Company. <laughs> that I said I will not name names but I never even had seen that ring but I know for goddamn sure that a ring was stolen and if I was like oh my grandfather had a ring like my mom had a ring like that that was my grandfather's just like that and I had met at the police station of I would be like yo that's my ring I'm still not over that I I was so mad at your father for not fixing that there's nothing he could have done no he could i was so mad because i was a little what seven year old and i saw mayflower and i was like oh we should do mayflower because they came over in the mayflower they have to know about packing (laughs) like that was my thing i really i was like mayflower (laughs) and then they pick this other thing and they get ripped off and i'm like we didn't pick it that's who the army sent us see you 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 should have known. You got to <laughs> The next move, Poppy's wedding ring was stolen. You guys my Michael your wedding rings. Oh my god. My Michael yeah. Jordan autograph was autograph stolen. Autograph was stolen. That yeah. Weirdly enough, arrowheads of mine were were okay. I won't say stolen, but I'll say lost. I'll say my Michael Jordan autograph was lost with a bunch of arrowheads. It was totally stolen. Yeah. Yeah, it's so frustrating because <clears throat> when you're military, you have to move every so many years. We were lucky because we didn't move as frequently as some people. But um, you have to, it, it, they say, well, wear, the ju- wear your important jewelry to you. Well, you, you can't do that all the time or carry it with you on a carry-on. Oh, you just have so much important jewelry. <laughs> Not much, but I didn't even think about it. I didn't even. Yeah, think no, it. I wouldn't have either. But those are the lessons that I think about. Like I, I the times that I move now, because but it's also it's just me. It's not a whole family unit we're mm. moving. I pack everything myself and just mm. move it, or would you know box it up and then have people come in and move it. But you can't, and especially because it's it's. It's one of those things that falls under how we treat veterans. Uh, you would think that people who have signed up that they're going to defend the country and we have to move them from point A to point B, that you would get treated better. But no, that's not what we do in America. And 
we were always really good to our movers. We always gave them lots of sodas. We, we fed them. We, you know, it's not like we treated them like, um, but maybe they felt but, like. And you don't know their, their situation because yeah. of, of caste and, and what true. they're dealing with and that it's kind true. of, that whole thing that then you're just in the churn and it's the, you know. Like so you got to hope that I know exactly who the guy was that was packing up the bedroom. So. Um, I'm assuming that was the guy. I but what if it that... wasn't? What if it was like this other guy and like the and guy maybe that you think it was? It wasn't. It was this Very other possibly. guy. And I just hope that they were able to get something out of that that they that they really needed. You because, know, like yeah, because at the end of it, it's, it's really just stuff, and it it know, is just it's it was just stuff. important to my mother, so it was important to me, and so. But you still have the feeling of that importance, and that's the thing that matters. Like that's the true thread of it. Is that is that is that feeling and that connection? It isn't the thing, the actual object. I don't know. I really like that ring. It was a gold coin from France, and and when my dad was in France during the war, the, okay, let's move on. Yeah, but you still have that feeling of it. Yeah, and that's, you're right. That's all that you need to feel closer to him. That's true. So, um, are we all LVP'd out? Did you do your L? Oh, your LVP was ego. ego. Yeah, mine was basically, I and I already said it about how like the boys with my age saw Vinny as being cool, but um, you know, as as you get older, you realize that Vinny's an asshole and Eddie is really the timeless one. Like you think he's the old guy, but really, he doesn't. Eddie seems. Even though it's 1986 and he's a 60 year old man, 61 year old man, his style, everything about him is classic. Whereas Vinny with his big hair, his Vince shirt, his leather jacket, his high heel shoes. And guess what? Carmen wasn't going to stay with him throughout this whole thing. Exactly. That's what I said. I can't wait for Carmen to leave his ass. I have yeah. that in my notes. So, yeah, yeah we're in agreement. Wait, so did we. Did, did Teeny finish up all of her things about, because I cut her off about, I wanted no, yeah, to know I think about. That was it. That was it. Yeah. So nobody's going to be surprised with my MVP. Paul Newman. But my runner up is that one shot of the slow motion of just the, the, the pool ball, the cue coming to hit it. And the blue chalk, mm. that was my MVP other than Paul Newman. You I know, I do have, that, that was another positive reheatable for me is I'd never seen a case for a chalk cube. Ah. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that cool? Gifts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My MVP, my runner up MVP is Carmen. She was a bad bitch. I liked she her. She was. She was what? such a bad she bitch. She is so cool. I like your style. Love her. But my real MVP is a game of pool, AKA yeah. billiards. Mm -hmm. And I found this thing online. I think it's for a retirement center. Oh. Yeah. There's two very old men playing pool on here, but from park province leading the way in memory care. But it says billiard. Okay, so the reason I like the reason I picked this as my MVP, it's a game for everybody. Yeah. 
you don't need fancy equipment. Of course, it's out there as with anything, but like you could go to any bar, not any bar. You could go to a bar. It doesn't have to be a nice bar. Like bars in all parts of town have pool tables. Um, obviously, the quality of them are going to be different, but you can play at any age. You can learn as a kid. You could play at two year old. So I found this article and it, it's a website actually. And it says billiards is a favorite pastime for people of all ages. The game is played casually and socially and can be enjoyed by people who are just learning and those who have played for their whole lives. This place, um, their residents regularly gather for billiards games and they have a wheelchair accessible table. They have a club that meets on Sunday afternoons and now they're going to tell us the benefits. So why is billiards a great pastime? There is a lot of walking involved in a game of pool. A two hour mm -hmm. session of billiards can include about 100 trips around the table, which adds up to almost three quarters of a mile. Mm. That's great exercise. Concentration is required to play the game from determining shot angles to focusing on the ball. This type of mental stimulation is beneficial for people who have memory dysfunction. Participation contributes to flexibility. The bending and stretching required to during play requires a moderate amount of flexibility. More difficult shots may require the player to balance and continued play can promote stability and help prevent falls. Mm. The benefits of the social aspect of billiards cannot be minimized. Numerous studies point to the positive effects relationships and social interaction provide for seniors and those who have Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, it also, there's a study showing that group activities reduce depression among older people with dementia. Mm -hmm. And billiards is a game many of their residents have played for years, often since childhood. So it taps into positive memories and creates moments of joy during every game. Oh, so agreed. Yeah. I'm going to become a like billiards player when I'm at my the assisted living place. That's exactly yeah. what I was I thinking. By this place uh, near our apartment that has been abandoned since we moved here and it's just an awning that says billiards with like a pool triangle it's like such a shame and there's a bar on our corner that like doesn't have a lot going for it but has this big open space and we went one time and we were like you guys need a pool table and the bartender was like yeah i've tried to tell the owner that but doesn't want he, he won't get one. I'm like, we would come here all the time. Like, what are, why are we going to go to the bar across the street? We can yeah. be at home. And but like, if you had a pool table, you just, and you get the, the thing where you don't even have to do anything. It's just, you just put the quarters, quarters in. And then and it's money. Yeah. Like, easy money. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. wow. Yeah. Because so when he was also, talking. I'm like, that could be, that's a way to make money. You buy a pool table, a quarter-operated pool table, and put it in a bar, and you collect it. It's like candy, but apparently those are all run by the mob. Oh, well. Which I'm not against. I'm not against the mob, but. <laughs> she lives in Brooklyn, people. She's good. She's good. Um, I would say at the CrossFit Barbados in the bar, we mm. definitely have a pool table. A couple pool tables. Yeah. Because when he was talking to Janelle saying, you know, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. My legs are good. I thought legs, but yeah, I mean, you got to be steady on your feet. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to, to last a couple games on your feet when you're not used to being on your feet. Yeah. Also, so I love that this place has an accessible pool table. 
That's probably what he was saying. The dwarf the dwarves. One. He yeah. was slandering the dwarves. It was probably a wheelchair accessible pool table. What's MO? Is that Missouri? Yes. Yes. Well, if anyone's getting old in Missouri, Park Province seems like a wonderful place. I will I will make a note of it. I am gonna make mm. sure that whatever facility Aaron puts me in has a pool table. No, I'm just gonna buy a pool table and put it in the in the room. I'm gonna make y'all clean out all that stuff in there, except for my stuff, and then we'll put a pool table in there. So done and done. Next. I would like it. That's you. Or next. Oh, I'm next. My honorable mention is Forrest Whitaker. Man. Yes. Do you think I should lose weight? I know. He just like just and and he and you know also because he's got that eye and it just so works for because at the beginning you're just like he's and, using it and yeah. he's like oh yeah I was a subject and he was like what he's like yeah it turns out I was a subject of their psychiatric study and just reeling him in. Hustler. Yeah, and he's just like, are you a hustler? And he's like, come on, you don't even have to. And then, and then he's like, but I have one question. Do I need to lose weight? Oh, it's just so great. Uh, but, of course, I'm with Ma, because, I mean. Sir Paul. The fact that his corrective, let's, can we just talk about how he, he goes, he's at the beginning. When I saw it the second time, I, I clocked the thing where he starts playing. And he's like, I see 35 balls down there. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, his eyesight's off. And so then when he goes to the doctor, the fact that his corrective lenses are sunglasses made me laugh so hard. Because I was thinking, uh. I was like, that was probably a new thing in the 80s, like prescription sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Because that wasn't people, you would have prescription glasses, but how many people had prescription You'd put sunglasses? You put the clip on. Yeah, and then, so the fact that he went to the eye doctor, got corrective lenses, I was like, make them sun. <laughs> Wait till you hear about those corrective lenses. Okay, because he looked fantastic in them. Um, the Just everything about him. I, I love how he turns around and he's just like, that kid's got a sledgehammer. It's just everything. The old guys, he's just, the old guys got it. I was just looking at this man like, this is a, he is 61 years old. And when he went up before you know like oh he knew the woman i was like it doesn't matter i it would leave with, if if paul newman came up i would against my better judgment i would be like yeah all right you're an old ted bundy i'm about to be murdered whatever lead the way sir <laughs> i'd be the lady with my ice cream in my purse yeah <laughs> you just hear yeah. those those stories about it it's just like yeah i would be because it's wow. it's not all about the looks. I mean, yes, he is a very attractive man, but it's also just that, just that swagger in him, which the maybe it might have been fused by booze this whole time. Who knows? But he just seemed to he seemed to mask his insecurities in a way that was very attractive. So so we're to recasting, oh and I have one. You recasted someone. You recasted Paul Newman. I did. Oh my God. And as soon as I thought about the recast, first of all, I went, oh, you cannot recast Paul Newman. But then I went in a different direction. And this name hit me and has not left me. Oh. 
But then in the middle of the night, I recasted Vince. Okay. I'm very happy with my Vince. Okay. Eddie. Can, okay, go ahead. What? Well, I was just going to say this whole movie made me think of the relationship between Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick and how, like, kind of that this is that because it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think that I just think like we haven't really talked about it a lot, but you know, you have Paul Newman, the hustler, and then you have the color of money versus Top Gun that came out the same year and Top Gun Maverick and how similar both of those things are but then there's like a bit of a difference to it and so I was okay go ahead I just wanted to to bring that up that that is an interesting compare and contrast and when I saw Top Gun Maverick when he came roaring in on that motorcycle without a helmet on I wanted to smack it he knows Mm. better and Jennifer Connelly knows better so I went in a different direction okay my Eddie, the seasoned person, Alfre Woodard. Yes. I mean. That name popped in my head and I couldn't get rid of it. I mean. so, so I had a couple different Vinces, <laughs> but in the middle of the night I went, this person has to be really flamboyant. Lizzo. For so who? Is- Lizzo. For Vince? For Vince? For is, Vince. Is this, is this is a pool? It's a billiards nine ball? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd be in. That yeah. would be pretty fun. And then Carmen, the manager of Lizzo, is Moses Ingram. Yeah. I like that. That'd be a pretty cool film. That would be. They would never make it. They don't have the balls. Hollywood. No, they don't. No. Lizzo with her thong. Shooting pool. Oh, she would be wearing what's her brand? Liddy. And she, and she no, Yiddy is her brand. Oh, she would be doing all the moves, but like but different moves, but equally as like awesome and stuff. Yeah. And I think I'd like Lizzo a lot more than I liked Vince. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So for Teeny, we're just it's always sunny in Philadelphia cast. I mean, oh shit, off the top. Okay, well, Sweet D's gotta be Carmen. She would love that. Yeah. Although, I feel like Charlie, no, Dennis would be Vince because he's so annoying. He has mm-hmm. the ability to be so annoying. <laughs> Frank would probably have to be Paul Newman. Yeah, I see that. Charlie would be Orvis. Yes. We've and got something there. Back would be Janelle. <laughs> and then they would be playing the McPoyles of the championship. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I had, so, okay, this is a tasty titty, but it goes into this, is that um, the woman who played Janelle, Janelle mm-hmm. was a last-minute addition because they didn't want the r- relationship between Paul Newman, between Eddie and Vincent to be misinterpreted. Read that as homophobic. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. So they added in the character. Get out of here. At the last minute. Yep. They sure enough really? did. Really? Which, in my mind, if I'm recasting it, um, 
okay, she's like an older lady and she's just in here for a couple of scenes. Why? What was Joanne Woodward doing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, But maybe she was mad at Paul during this time. It might have been when she threw him out for a while. Exactly. So then when Teeny was telling me the story of Cicero, I was like, well, wait a second. Where's that film? Like, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. I would just like to to like point out that 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 should definitely be a film. Um, so when I was thinking of recasting, I wanted to go and follow in the same kind of thing where an actor made a splash in a film, preferably a sports film. Um, it had to be something that was like a solo endeavor. And that they're still in the game years later, and then they could mentor a new up-and-coming person, kind of the same way. Because I, there, as much as I would like there to have been in in like '95, uh, tr- like uh, the final trilogy of The Color of Money, and you know, keep up with Eddie and Vincent to see how that is going. I was like, I'm not gonna recast Paul Newman. So I wanted to figure out, well, what what was there out there that we could do? And I came across a film that came out in 2006 that I think that maybe we could we could have some fun with. Aquila in the Bee. Oh, see, because so, Kiki Palmer yeah. is my original Vince until I thought of Lizzo. So we 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 kind of we, and also another good reheatable about this film is that how it's a sequel, but it's we don't get a lot of movies where. Most of the sequels come directly to do with the story in front of them, whereas this is a sequel, but it isn't exactly coming after it, but it's still in the same world. And they don't really do that a lot. And so I think that it would be fun to have, like, Aquila and the Bee. Kiki Palmer comes back as Aquila. She's older. And then we find, like, the newcomer and have mm-hmm. it be in the spelling bee kind of mm-hmm. thing and, like, a different story and different characters and stuff. And now it's that fun of, like, we get to see her as a little kid and now we get to see her character uh, older. So that's, nice. yeah. that's what I came up with. We were both Kiki Palmer in it. Because I'm sorry to that man. Okay, Tasties. Oh, Tom Cruise did all of his trick shots except the one where the ball had to jump another ball to make the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they said it would have taken two more weeks for him to learn that, but that is millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have more on, like, why that, like, how costly that would have been. But, yeah, he learned all of it. He was It's pretty impressive. He was... very committed. He takes this stuff seriously. Yeah. I didn't see anything about him and how he felt about working with Paul Newman. I have something you did. on that. I oh, did. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, good. I saw like a brief interview with him and they were like talk asking him. I don't know. I felt like, okay, good. You'll get into it. Because what I saw yeah. felt like he was just like, yeah, you learn from him by watching him. Like. I have a story that he told about oh, okay. working with him. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Paul Newman said Scorsese told him in the funny scenes not to try to be funny. I'm tired of people telling Paul Newman how to be funny. Did they see him in Cool Hand Luke? He knows how to be funny. Yeah, but he was funny in this too because the. Yeah, he was. 
But I think it it was good direction of like, don't try to be funny. Okay. This came in under schedule and under budget. Well, because it came in a day. This is the only Martin Scorsese film that has come in under budget and under schedule. Because if it went over 50 days and the $4.5 million budget that Paul Newman and Martin Scorsese would have to make up the difference. So yeah. you know, oh, you know, Paul Newman was on those pages. Like we got to make the day. We got to make the day. We got to make the day because so many studios passed on this. You had yeah. Paul Newman, a young Tom Cruise, who's got already had risky business art, these things. And Top Gun is about to come out. And Martin Scorsese, who did Raging Bull, uh, Mean Streets. But he had had the couple of flops and stuff. And then you have Paul Newman and, and ageism in Hollywood has always been right. a thing. And they're like, he's over the hill. So yeah. Columbia passed on it. It had to come down to Disney. That's what Touchstone was is under Disney. And they were like, okay, but if you go over, y'all have to make up the money. And, yeah. they, and Paul yeah. Newman was like, all right, not on my watch. <laughs> um, um, um. Paul Newman took Tom Cruise to a car race and taught him how to drive a high-speed car. Oh, so that lit that fire. Yeah, it lit that fire. I said this was Forrest Whitaker's screen debut, but you said not so much. No, he was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High and a couple other films before this. Okay, his watch, Paul Newman's watch. I read two different things. It was a Rolex. One thing said it was a a Daytona 101 Rolex. Another said, no, it was a that that just, but it was uh, some Rolex. And I know that he might've had a couple. One was given to him by Joanne Woodward, mm-hmm. went up for auction and sold for like $17 million. It was like inscribed with, with something from Joanne like, to him. Now the sunglasses, Teeny. the sunglasses were Cartier. They were 18 karat gold with platinum. They were platinum plated finish. Mm. And in 1983, they were a total status symbol to the point where Michael Douglas wore them in Wall Street and Christopher Walken wore them in A View to a Kill. The exact ones? The same 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 style. Yeah, yeah. I I was interested in the ring. Because you kept seeing the ring. The ring was silver or gold plated with pave set diamond and an engraved band. It I it looked like a like a championship ring to me of some kind, but I couldn't find out any more of that. The sunglasses were cool, but I didn't like them because you couldn't see his eyes anymore. Oh, I just thought oh. it was he was like too cool for school they were pretty yeah they were like oh my god sunglasses yes and he's playing pool indoors and sunglasses it just Mm -hmm. seems like such an it's it's funny because it seems like such an old person move like today you would be like oh that man forgot his his regular sunglasses (laughs) like my dad the glare the glare you know like these things these things He's like, oh, I don't have my real glasses, so I have to be in this meeting now with my sunglasses on, my hater blockers. The first time we moved to Germany, so so if you're in the military and you move 
to a foreign country, you're given a sponsor. This person takes you out and helps you find a place to live, helps you, you know, like transition into a new culture situation. And our guy wore sunglasses all the time, inside, outside, all the time. We didn't find out until years later he had lost his his regular glasses and those were his only prescription mm-hmm. glasses. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. That's that's that thing. Are those are your tasty titties? Those are my tasties. Yes. Tini, do you have any? No, I don't. I have. Okay, so Paul Newman finally won best ass. Yes. Best Actor Oscar after seven nominations for this. Right. Um, the other nomin there were other nominations. They were nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She was nominated. Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Art Direction. Martin Scorsese says he was influenced by the 1947 film Black Narcissus. Um, specifically the extreme close-ups of Tom Cruise around the pool table was inspired by the nuns in that film. So that's, that's a good film to, I think it's a world film. Um, so I think it's subtitled, but I've seen that as a big influential thing. Um, I remember it was at the video store and the real, the serious film buffs would rent that. Ah. Um, that, the quote in here, Doom, right before the Werewolves of yeah. London. Yeah. So that inspired the name for the video game, Doom. That's where they got it oh, from. Oh, wow. Yep, from this film. They were looking and for And I love that game, but it, like, scared the shit out of me. I used to play it when I was home alone, even, and, like, oh, my God, it's terrifying. I I didn't play it myself, but I man, I would always hear about it and see yeah. things about it. I'm like that seems scary. They re-released it for PlayStation a few years ago, and it was just scary. But yep, that's where the name came from. So this could be a negative reheatable because uh, Roger Ebert gave this film two and a half stars. Right. He said that it lacked energy, and he hated the ending of the film. And I thought that it had so much energy. I thought it was so kinetic. But that's that is one of those things where in the times when the movie comes out, you know, you have now people look back and we haven't done them yet, but after hours and the king of comedy, when they came out, they were financial flops and people didn't like them. But now of the since years, their esteem has grown. So it's just interesting, like he comes out with this, and it's like, this is the guy that did Raging Bull, and he has Paul Newman and this new kid in it. Mm-hmm. It's just funny. That hasn't aged well. The term flake, I know flake. My definition of flake was somebody who you say, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to be at the pool hall on Friday at 8 o'clock, and then you're at the pool hall Friday at 8 o'clock, and they're like, oh, no, something else came up. Yeah. And they don't show up. That's what I thought that a flake was. But I saw that there was a Mental Floss article by Simon Davis, and he said that that term came from a baseball, the personality of a baseball outfielder named Jackie Brandt, who in the mid-50s, they called him a flake. And, quote, the rationale for the moniker was that his mind was so impermanent that his brains were flaking from his head. 
So the kind of on-field antics that this Jackie Brandt would do is like if he hit a home run, instead of just trotting around the bases, he would get to first base and slide, get up, run to second base and slide. He would slide at all the bases at a home run. So everybody's like, what the hell? And that's what Tom Cruise, you know, his whole doing the, you know, using the pool cue as a a bow or a staff, you know, and, and all of his antics and so that's where the term that's what they meant by flake interesting Mm -hmm. um this whole movie was pretty much paul newman paul newman got to decide Mm -hmm. who would make the film so he chose martin scorsese who himself was in a position where he he was looking for a film um they had over 36 script conferences with richard price and Paul Newman would always say to him, guys, we're missing an opportunity. And Richard Price would just be like, oh, my gosh, again, how many times are we going to rewrite this? They took a solid six months to get the script right. So pretty much Mm. every word in the whole script is finely tuned. And, you know, Richard Price would get irritated, but he had he did say, like, Paul Newman was rarely wrong. Like he, like the man had been in the game for enough times and he knew the character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, here's the story. So Tom Cruise, this is a story that I found on the internet of something that Paul, that he learned from Paul Newman. So that scene where the TD had it in her quotables where he's like, get in the car. You look like you're felt up at a movie theater. So they're shooting. They were in Chicago and it was winter time. And Tom Cruise was freezing because he was in a leather jacket and a T-shirt. And meanwhile, you know, Paul Newman's in a warm winter coat and he has a heater on in in the car. And so Paul Newman looks at Tom Cruise and he's like, T-shirt? And he goes, you tried your wardrobe on in the summer, didn't you? And, you know, Tom Cruise is like, yes, sir, I did. (laughs) And Paul Newman says... Watch and learn, kid. Watch and learn. And so Tom Cruise says that he always, he in fact never forgot it. And so fast forward to there on this, the scene, um, they're on the set of Mission Impossible Fallout. And I think it's Christopher McQuarrie. He was the writer on that. And they were, the scene, it, it's the beginning of the film, and they're in a bunker and it's cold. And Christopher McQuarrie, they're like, man, how do we get across visually that this is a really cold environment, you know? And they were, because they were in a bunker, I forget where they were, but they were somewhere in Europe. And between takes, because Tom Cruise watched and learned, they would roll out electric space heaters for him in between takes so he wouldn't freeze his ass off. Ah. And Christopher McQuarrie looked and he saw the red-orange glow on Tom Cruise and he was like, oh, that's how we convey how cold it is. So at the beginning of Fallout, when you see the orange-red light on Tom Cruise to convey the coldness of the bunker that they're in, that all goes back to the advice that Paul Newman gave him of like, you gotta think ahead. You know, like Mm. you're trying on your clothes in the summertime, but we're going to be shooting in January in Chicago. What is your character going to be? And more importantly, (laughs) how do you want to be in those scenes? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, Let's see. They didn't use a 
Balabushka Pukyu. No. Oh. They used a Josh, a Joss, and Joss model. Yeah. And made it look like a Balabushka. Mm-hmm. Wonder why? You couldn't get it? I think Probably because it's too expensive. so expensive and the insurance oh. on it. Because those were, I, they, what I've heard on other podcasts and in other reading is that the balabushkas are like the violins, like the strata, what is it? Stradivarius. Yeah, where there's a limited number of them and uh-huh. it's, they're so rare and so expensive that they're just like, you wouldn't well, just, dare. Yeah, and it's a movie, so they're probably just like, just make it look it like one, and who's gonna and know? And Tom is twirling it around and acting like it's a baton. Yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of already mentioned this. How Martin Scorsese got the idea for Goodfellas while shooting this film. He read a review of the book Wise Guy, and he saw Henry Hill, and he was like, "Okay, there's something there in that Henry Hill." Um. For the soundtrack, so Robbie Robertson did the soundtrack, but David Geffen felt that Robbie Robertson's solo album was being delayed because he was working on this soundtrack, so he wouldn't release Robbie Robertson's voice for the soundtrack. So that's why you never hear any of Robbie Robertson singing in the soundtrack because David Geffen wouldn't release it. So you only hear like the instrumentals, but mm-hmm. Robbie Robertson is so well regarded that he was able to like, all right, well, I got my friends, Eric Clapton, BB King, Robert Palmer, <sighs> Don Henley. Whoa. Don Henley was there. Yeah. There. I have an irrational. I ha- Don Henley is my Tom Cruise. I just have this irrational. Yes. I don't like, I don't like that man. And I don't know why I'm sorry. Um, and then I just did this quick thing about like who breaks in nine ball. It's called lagging. And that's when they each have the the ball. Yeah. And they, it's to touch the far end and return as close to the near end as possible without touching the near end of the sides. And that the closest gets to break. That's what I wondered. And then they have like all these frames. It depends on how many frames that they're playing with nine ball to, so many, like, so many rules of who wins because these guys are so good that they just run like okay, they break and then they just go and there's the nine ball and then I guess it's then it's the next person's turn and then they go until they miss it or they just run it and then you just keep going until it's best out of whatever. So, well, this has been the color of money. Next week we're doing a 2006 historical drama. It's an Patriot. 43 minutes. It had 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. This, I was thinking, we have not done this treasured person yet. And and she is such a treasure. She's American. And I didn't say an American treasure, did I? Oh, okay. No, you didn't. She was given an Oscar, a Golden Globe, a Critics' Choice for this film. Um, okay, current events. Uh huh. Elizabeth. We are doing the Queen. Oh, the Queen with Helen Mirren. We haven't done Helen Mirren yet. No, we haven't. Um, and I thought that we needed to honor Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> so, man, I, you know, I, 
I, do. I don't know that we do, but I, I yeah. want to be the queen, but I've also been very like this is a thing. Both things can be true, because I've watched The Crown, and I think that Queen Elizabeth was fascinating in that she wasn't born to be the queen, and then she became the queen, and her reign and everything. But at the same time, I also have found. Irish TikTok and Twitter and Indian yeah. and Black Twitter and all of them. A lot of people out there ain't honoring the Queen. Did you see the, the the people in the Irish place, the soccer stadium, chanting Lizzie's in a box? <laughs> no. But all these things can be true. Like she can be the Queen, and then also she can be the you know the the figurehead of the colonizers and a lot right. of people got problems with that so maybe we'll all drink a colonizer I, the next I time we're together do. um this is not a, a look of her at her best this is right after diana's death and so mm. that didn't go well for her but she she became queen the year poppy and i were born i know like your whole like literally i looked at it it's like ten, like eight days after you were born, she became the queen. Like her dad died in February and you were right. born in late January. And she wasn't groomed to be the queen. At all. She, she was supposed to be, you know, ha off having fun. And her, her uncle was supposed to be the king, but he abdicated for some American divorcee. So it's pretty much like a uh, little Archie now becoming the king of england you know like archie's over here in america he's got his his mom and his dad is the spare to it, the air and he's got his title now he's a prince now yeah but like if william hadn't had his kids and stuff you know he's just going off you know he's yeah, yeah he's got this thing but he doesn't really need to pay attention and then everything All of goes a sudden, left and oh then, shit also do you guys know what happened? Because Charles is King Charles III. Y'all know what happened to Charles I? <laughs> he died, and when he died, his head and body were not together. <laughs> that was Charles I. Yeah, there's so <laughs> and much they, And they, like, abolished the monarchy for a period of time. It's, it's like, And that's the thing that I'm fascinated about the monarchy is how wild all of it is. Mm -hmm. But then it's also like, yeah, you're the figure. Like, that money that she has and those diamonds and all of that, like, that was made off of the backs of a lot of people here in America. So That's true. It's all true. All of and it is true. And we will discuss it the next time we are together. Indeed. Ooh, with, with Helen Mary. impressed. <laughs> but I, Helen I don't know anything about, I've never been loyal to the Lord. I ain't loyal to the royal, and all I've been seeing on my side of TikTok is not great, not great things. We are and that's we are all, good all to hail Diana, right? And not this bitch. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't speak up for Illy like that. I don't know anything about her. It and it is interesting. I do love her love for dogs. I love mm -hmm. that she loved corgis. That is great. Right. She's an yeah. animal lover. We are in. If you watch The Crown, you. I it don't does, watch the crown. It could not hold my attention for yeah, 10 minutes. It would make you be, I like, because I like history and stuff. And I do like the, oh, this is very interesting. Like, 
it it always just popped up of different interesting things of like, oh, that is like putting yourself in somebody else's shoes where you're like, oh yeah, wow, that is and like. I, ugh. And I also sent Aaron a TikTok earlier about how the different generations are reacting to the Queen's death. And me, it was like boomers, Gen Z, and then for millennials, it was just a girl holding her Princess Diana be- beanie baby. And I was like, I, the other day I was talking to Erin and I was like, I, I didn't know two things about her, but I, I did have my Princess Diana beanie baby. It was very hard to get. We had it in a case. Yeah. We didn't even have that, but I was telling Teeny, oh, Ma like followed everything about diana so did i you, knew but if you ever stuff. saw pictures of queen elizabeth when she was young she looked just like your mom she looked like my grandma she did indeed and, and that's the thing I could they're see german that. Look like a relative yeah they're yeah, german her family was german so yeah so yeah that was inbred in me when i was young and so there is Wait, that did, and- so did so grammy was like yo she looked like me yeah Oh, okay. Cause then that, yeah, then that makes sense. Cause I was always like you, cause you got, cause then you and your sister would always talk about all of the scandals going on with Diane. Cause you, I, I knew that you loved Diana because she was up against her mother-in-law and you definitely. <laughs> well, I foresee this being an interesting week whenever we get back together. Yeah, I I clearly have some research to do. Everybody bring your A game. And I will definitely be drinking a colonizer. Colonizers, yes. And so that is our movie next time. And this has been The Color of Money with Paul Newman. Mm. Well, there you go, listeners. Bye. Bye.